and welcome to Postcards from Antioch. Now, this is a teaching and training podcast from Barn Church. My name is Dan. You've not heard me before. This is well, maybe my first episode, or it could be the other one we're feel, um, recording today. Uh, I've been the producer and producer Dan. We've got Oz with us today. Hi there. Hi, Dan. Great to have you behind the microphone, not Fantastic. just behind the laptop. Any chance you can move your mic closer to you, Oz? Yeah, of course. Good boy. See, now you've got producer Dan coming up. So today we'll be uh, looking at our topic, which is eschatology, thinking about it and trying to explore some different ideas around eschatology. Oz, what is eschatology? Well, I wonder, first of all, yeah, eschatology is one of those one words, the study of, and it's the study of the last things. Uh, And with that, I'm sure lots of things jump to people's minds, maybe an antichrist, lakes of fire, words like rapture. the book of Revelation, which for many is a huge mystery and mm. something to avoid because we don't really know what to do with a book like that in our times. But eschatology is more than just revelation. It's thinking about the end, uh, the last things, the study of the last things and how we maybe live as Christians to prepare ourselves for that. So eschar being Greek for ending. Exactly. Eschatology being science or study of, right? That's right. Fantastic. Study of things ending. Right, Oz, so where are we going first? Um, Maybe we'll just start by addressing some of how we begin to handle a book like Revelation, what kind of literature it is and genre. Um, And then from there, we can think about some of the approaches that people take in interpreting it Mm. and maybe where where we've done some study and thinking. Fantastic. Yeah, sounds great. Okay. So um, let's start with the book Revelation, last book of the Bible, um, written by John in the time of the Roman emperor Domitian, around AD 81 to 96, that kind of time, Um, possibly 95, 96. We're we're never totally sure. Um, And the type of literature, that's the first question. What is it just another letter? There's lots of letters in the Gospels. But we know that that's not the case because it feels very different mm. as we read it. And yet there's an element of epistle letter because there's those seven letters to the churches. There's an element of prophecy. There's lots of prophetic words that seem to be in, contained, but also that word apocalypse um, is, is often connected. Mm. So, yeah, revelation. Um, what, what, what do you understand by that word, Dan? What does revelation mean? So if someone said to me, revelation, what do you think of? first thing I'd say is the last book of the Bible, right? Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't necessarily connect it with any meaning behind just it is the last book of the Bible. But um, through my studies, Revelation is the uh, is a sort of revealing, isn't it? It's the making things that were unknown now known. Um, and in many ways, all of Scripture is revelation. It's it's special revelation from God, isn't it? Yes. Um, that he's... he's Something that was a mystery is now being revealed, which is interesting because most people's opinions of Revelation is that it's quite the opposite of uh, revealing, isn't it? Precisely. Yeah. yeah. So this idea that um, there's a, it's, a dis, it's an opening up of the curtains mm. for you to see. And maybe we would think, oh, particularly about how things are going to end, the end times. It's mm. about the future. Yeah. But it's about much more than that. It's about a revealing of how to live in the middle of a great spiritual battle mm. um, today, in the middle of trials and sufferings that Jews and um, Gentiles were experiencing as followers of Christ yeah. in the first and second century, and also for us 
here some two millennia mm. later. Fantastic. Yeah, so Revelation. Um, and we do get these series of symbolic visions that John has when he's exiled on the, the island of Patmos. Mm. Um, and this is quite a unique book in the length, in the, I think there's over 500 allusions and references to the Old Testament, particularly from books like Ezekiel and Daniel and Zechariah. So for many of us, we we won't be particularly familiar with those books because, again, we find them quite hard. Mm. Minor prophets, all that book, Daniel, Ezekiel, full of symbolism and prophecy and historical events that, that we maybe struggle to connect to. So it's no surprise that when we get to the last book of the Bible and start reading Revelation, we're, we find it tough reading. Yes. Yeah. Would um, you say that's often the case with most of Scripture, that it is, uh, I mean, where do I hear this? Someone said it's hyperlinked. Mm. We, we find that with most of scripture, don't we? That it's you can read it and you can find something at face value that Jesus said, right? But but then if you look deeper, he's quoting a psalm or he's quoting Ezekiel or he's quoting something in the Old Testament. But when we come to Revelation, it seems like there's a lot of leaning on that yeah. prior knowledge and knowledge of the Jewish faith and and early Christian ideas and thoughts that yeah definitely John is alluding I think to that's it um and it, in the gospels we so lo- lead see loads of links back into mm. the old testament and it's very much the case for revelation there's masses of them and if if you think about the songs that we that we hear on the radio or poetry that we read mm. it's it's built not just on a blank canvas but on a canvas that is our history yes it's right. our culture yeah definitely and it dives into mm. things of the past and w- it makes sense and it adds emotion and meaning so there's no surprise that um, when God is revealing himself, he does that through the course of narrative and history and symbolism and prophecy from the Jewish mm. heritage. Fantastic. So, yeah, as we think about a book like Revelation and as we think about this word eschatology, uh, there's lots, there is symbolism, but there's also historical events that happened and that continue to happen that we find fulfillment in and there's talk of letters and seals and trumpets and beasts and plagues and um, bowls and sabbaths and prostitutes and dragons and all sorts Mm. and it's 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 a bit like make-believe isn't it um and yet actually the questions that we ask is what's the significance the numbers the repetition the Mm. number seven the number six Mm. four three all these numbers have got symbolic relevance uh, and we see that they're meaningful they are significant not just for them but for us today so how do we so if i was reading my revelation book how would i go about trying to understand seven bowls of prayers or or prostitute jerusalem and how would i how would i access that if it's being revealed to me mm. what process would i go through well, I think it helps to do a few things. One is to know your Old Testament and mm-hmm. to be familiar. So if you, you come across something, assume that it's come from a context, i.e. an Old Testament prophet or historical story. Mm. Uh, and so first question should be not, oh, this is confusing. Is this just random? No, th- th- there's a backstory. To so it. have I seen this before? Exactly. Sort of yeah. Have I seen this before? What would it have meant to the original hearers? Mm. What did it mean to John? He's yeah. the one seeing the vision. Yeah, yeah. Um, so John, um, somewhat a disciple of Jesus, who 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 experienced Jesus's sort of parables, teaching, but also grew up um, in the cult- culture. So that's the first 
uh, Jewish culture. And then, well, if there is a, a number, so seven bowls, what does a number seven mean? It means completeness. It means perfection, mm. wholeness. Mm. Um, oh, there's the number six comes up. Oh, well, that's not quite complete, not quite mm. whole. Um, man's number is referred to. So we ask questions, we look at the Old Testament, and then we begin to see um, within the structure of the book of Revelation where this is leading. And the structure is not easy to unpack, and there's been loads of attempts to okay. unpick yep. the structure. Yep. But the, I think there are some clear structures there which um, John uh, uses to really map out what God is revealing. Okay. So structure reveals the character of God and the nature mm. of events. So there's it, too much to dive right into okay, now, yeah. but we ask questions, we look at structure, we look at repetition, look at numbers, and that helps us, those observations help us move towards interpretation. Okay. So it can be accessed. Yes. It's not a book that is just for the theologians or the people who look at modern warfare very closely and are tying it together with right exactly that's, that's so let me give you some examples of okay. putting to the book it can be can't it? there's all this imagery and and we've been told by people rightly or wrongly that it means certain things um but that's difficult to understand how they got yeah. to that conclusion exactly it had yeah certain yeah. fulfillments are this mm. but then they suddenly fall apart when um the the ideas that they've associated with of today yeah. don't lead to the coming of Christ yeah. quite as they thought. So a few examples. We look at the bigger picture, the the larger meta narrative, not just the the details. So the Trinity. Okay, the mm. Trinity in Revelation. Let's examine that. Father, Son, and Spirit. Actually, often the Son's referred to as the Lamb mm. in um, Revelation chapter one, um, but the risen Savior, mm. King figure as well. There's also a strange bit about seven spirits, isn't there? Yes. Yeah. Seven. So complete, complete, whole, and and it connecting with the the churches, the lampstands. Mm. Um, so we're not talking on? about. We're not saying the Holy Spirit is in seven there, is he? <laughs> no, we're not. No. But we're so, using the the number seven as completeness. Exactly. Right. So there's a good example, isn't it? Really yeah. good. But then we also have a satanic imitation of the right. reality of the Trinity. So the false Trinity, we could call the mm. dragon, the beast, and the false prophet. So maybe not just three random baddie figures in Revelation, mm. but what is Satan, the deceiver, the liar, the mm. antichrist, and here's an imitation of the Trinity to distract and pull people away in chapter 16. Or think of the lamb standing slain, and then the many-headed beast with a mortal wound. So mm. there's, there's satanic imitation or the sealing of the saints assurance of salvation in contrast to the mark of the beast mm. um, or the bride in white the church the redeemed people of god jew and gentile mm. in contrast to the prostitute in purple and scarlet so there's these right. interesting images yes but how do we uh we we can look at them and we can say this may mean this and may mean that but how can we apply those images because i mean you're listing off what five or six there of yeah possibly hundreds in, in Revelation, how can we apply those or, or build a sort of schema, sort of understanding of what Revelation is really revealing to us? Mm. What's the purpose or what's the process by which I do that? I think there's probably two approaches we can take. One is what is our interpretive 
position on a mm. book like Revelation? Was mm. it primarily for that audience then, mm-hmm. or is it still really relevant today? And we've so far argued that, well, yeah, primarily there's a, a relevance then, mm. but certainly like all of Scripture, it's God breathes and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So it, it makes a difference now. But the way we interpret it is, is one approach that we can look at in a moment. Mm. And then the other thing is, the way that we can use the symbolism and the uh, and the um, prophetic element of the book to see how we can be strengthened in faith today and mm. live enduring faithfully preser- per- persevering as Christians amidst the context of persecution or evil or the hope of right. Christ. So that's yeah, that's kingdom. position of what position? That's a um, what's the word? An understanding of what revelation can bring that we don't often hear, is it? Exactly. Because we're talking about eschatology here. Yeah. And I'm asking you, how can I get a good eschaton from revelation? Now, what you've said there is actually there's so much more in revelation that is about how we live as Christians and how we're encouraged. Would you say that the book of Revelation is solely about how the world will end? No, I would no. not. I say I would say that there are elements of mm. that that reveal which can be um, followed through with other scripture in Thessalonians or in right. other Old Testament scriptures, Matthew 24, Luke 17. Mm. However, I would say the primary purpose of Revelation is for suffering Christians um, of the day that John retained the record of the visions through writing the scroll, the scripture, mm. um, and also for us today, how we can live with patience, endurance until Christ's return, until the kingdom of God comes in its fullness. Mm. How we can live in the um, the already, but not quite the not yet. Yeah, yeah. Well, I've just seen, I've just pulled it up in front of me, Revelation 1, and then there's verse 3, and it says, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. So, again, what you're saying there, the, the purpose of the book, John is stating, almost immediately, isn't he, saying, this is about blessing you, encouraging you, hold on to these things, remember what Jesus said, remember what's in the Old Testament. Exactly. So So actually, more like the other letters, exhortation, Mm. encouragement, encourage one another with these words, I think Mm. comes up in um, 1 Thessalonians 4. So, And that was just off the back of a bit of what we would call classic end time, Mm. Christ's return narrative in the letter. He said, but these are for our encouragement now. Mm. Why? Well, so that we have hope in the one who is victor, mm. Christ, the returning king, that we we can persevere, that we can be encouraged by a truth of the second coming or mm. of the, the making of all things new. So that when we see wars and rumors of wars, mm. we don't plummet into, into despair, but that we have hope that makes a difference, a risen savior that will raise us mm. with him in his new creation. So, yeah. For our encouragement, primarily, actually, for our endurance, our um, hope, mm. and to as a part of our evangelism, maybe as well, which mm. maybe not something that we normally would go to. So tough question now, which you've slightly, I think you've partially answered. But uh, if that's the case, that Revelations for um, there's lots in there about the future and stuff, but it's mainly for our blessing and strengthening and understanding of the gospel and, and living lives in persecution, which we don't particularly experience in this country, do we? But I think people around the world mm. would say that there's blessing in Revelation for them especially. Um, why 
why have an eschatology at all? Why have a thought of the future? Why, why does it matter how things will end? If ultimately I'm just going to be comforted by passages in Revelation which tell me, you know, God loves you even if you, I, mean, I, mean, I don't think this is in there, but God loves you even if you are struggling, right? And um, why eschatology? Well, I think throughout scripture, we see that God uses prophecy to um, warn mm -hmm. of judgment and to move people to trust in faith in the God who knows all things from, he's the Alpha and the Omega, it says in Revelation, mm. um, knows the beginning from the end. Mm. So I think there's a, a warning for the unbelievers and there's a encouragement to persevere in faith for the church who are saved if mm. they have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, as it says in Revelation. And so why have an eschatology? Well, to build believers in in their faith in Jesus, the one who has revealed himself mm. and who will come back and to act as a living warning for what is to happen. And, and we see that typology throughout the Bible. We see events happening that have been predicted and then are mm. fulfilled mm -hmm. and they act as a living testimony mm. to God's existence and therefore the justice of God exercised in judgment and in salvation, uh, the grace and mercy of God. And I think this is the ultimate showcase for that. So you're saying it's good to have an eschatology because when you see the things happening, it'll give you courage and faith, would it? Or... In a way, yes. Right. So when we see wars and rumors of wars, when we see um, things that on one level demonstrate the wrath of God mm -hmm. around us, mm -hmm. they should make us think, where am I? Do I know the king? Right. How... How assured am I of salvation? Yes. And if you know the one that is risen and that is bringing about a new kingdom, mm. then the very fact of the the bad things that are happening stirs us to continue to serve him and to share the good news okay. with those that don't know him. All right. Mm. All right. Yeah, good. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's it. So the signs are primarily around, around us, not so that we can figure out the when and the how mm. of Jesus's return, but instead, so that we can figure out the truth that Jesus is the risen King on the throne, yeah. in control, and we exercise faith in him amidst the issues that are going on in the broken world around us. Okay. All right. I'm with you. You're with me? <laughs> yeah. So, um, so there's some of the things. I think it'd be good to move from that general why an eschatology is important. So that's important pastorally mm -hmm. when we deal with how to deal with death. Mm. Uh, how we struggle with um, suffering in life. Mm. Having a, a, a solid eschatology helps. How and why we do evangelism and share the good news because we believe in a, a returning king and, and a judge. Mm. And how we can know that we've got a hope uh, of life free from death and disease and pain and sin. So I think some of those things are really key pastorally, evangelistically, missionally. Yeah. But as well as that wider eschatology and a, we, we've dived a little bit into revelation mm. uh, i think the other thing to look at is some of these views because we hear some different views don't we yes on this yes in so evangelical got, churches yes so we've got this idea of there is an s there is an end there is an esca right yep. and the tology is understanding what that may or may not be but also how we decide to live now because of the eschatology that we are building or understanding and growing in. 
Yes. So there are different views as to how that ending will happen. Is that right? That's exactly right. And they (laughs) come from different interpretive positions. So just briefly, I'll highlight the main four positions. And we can see how they play into the main views, which are often linked to the that millennium in Revelation 20. So the interpretive positions, loosely speaking, are historist. Events refer to actual events through time from the early church to now. So this is this is how we are interpreting the book of Revelation and other books in the Bible. Exactly. About that... um, apocalyptic or revelatory scripture. Yes, okay, exactly. Great. Thank you. So historist um, or Another one, idealist. Events don't relate to historical events, but symbolize an ongoing struggle until Christ returns. So two very different approaches. One, historical actual events. The other, symbolic events of struggle. So the historist, everything's already happened in history up until now? Um, not not quite everything, because there's still more. Right. But everything is interpreted. So there's a mapping out of biblical, prophetic um events then unfolding through time okay. and so and obviously different historists would choose different events precisely different so it's different progressive events, through right. time but there's a chronology and therefore the way we go about reading revelation is in a chronological okay. historical mm. manner <clears throat> preterist is another approach which which zooms all of that historical event more in the time scale of john's um visions and right. um, maybe the first century AD. So quite similar to historists, yes. but within the context of the author, author's understanding and the listeners, under, or That's the reader's right. understanding of the time. Yeah. Okay, interesting. So yeah, um, yeah so precisely that. And then the futurist events relate to future events to come. And that might be the classic position that we hear about. Oh, Revelation, it's about distant events in the yeah. future. Yeah. Or dragons, helicopters, nuclear bombs. Precisely. Right. Okay. Yeah. 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 Syringes and missiles, you know, and, right. and all sorts of things are evidence of yeah. the arrows. Or even further future, lasers and warp engines oh yes it gets really scientific Trek, maybe yeah. precisely yeah okay. and um lots of books and, and films tend to major on this because it, it, it pulls in the crowds a bit more okay yeah you know the left behind series yes that was very big in like was it the 80s and 80s and 90s yes. i remember reading them in uh, uh around 2001 gap year this left right. behind series okay being quite captivated yeah by uh, this certain approach to um the end times so that eschatology of the Left Behind series and things that we often hear about, you know, Revelation, all of Revelation almost being in the far future or near future. That's the, that's the futurist. And that's a idea that is kind of recent in history or has that been always around? Well, um, good question. I can't, I'm not quite sure how long it, I, th- okay. I think it's certainly, it, it's came to the fore through the 19th and 20th century. I mean, centuries. they didn't have missiles and um, helicopters yeah. until Yeah, so recent. on that basis, so, yeah. That yeah. yeah, yeah. But, yeah. but I, I wouldn't say that necessarily that view wasn't being, okay. um, but with whatever warfare at the time was applicable. Right. Um, but 
like anything, they don't. These four areas don't neatly fit into boxes. What was the fourth? Sorry. So we've got historist, idealist, idealist, preterist, and, and futurist. futurist. Okay, futurist. And then you've got these millennial views. So if you take one of those interpretive positions, when you get to Revelation twenty, which is talk of this thousand-year reigning Christ, saints raising, r- right. reigning with him, what happens to Satan? Is he bound? Is he released? That section. So I think from verse one to six or so in chapter 20, you need to know what is going on. And so there's been three, primarily three views that have been developed to unlock that really confusing, complex To attempt to. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Attempt to. And the reality is I don't think any of them really do it justice. Mm. we don't actually get a reference to this thousand-year period anywhere else in the Bible. Okay, either. so you're talking about Revelation 20. Yeah. If uh, listeners are, have read Revelation or will intend to or are reading along, then <laughs> that we check out that through. chapter and Revelation come back 20, to us. We're with talking the about a millennium, exactly of, of peace. Is it or of 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 reigning of reigning. Christ? And okay. so the pre-millennialist, so Christ returns before a thousand-year okay. period, is linked to a futurist interpretive position. And that is um, Christ will return before the thousand years to defeat and destroy the beast, the false prophet at the Armageddon. Okay. So that's one position. Now, within that, there are pre-millennials that are classical or tribulationists. So there's a number of versions Mm. within that Mm. category. They major on literal truth. They major on... um, descriptions to be taken at a face value when you say literal truth <laughs> <laughs> literal um reading, so re- reading of plain scripture, reading of the text plain reading more, yeah a literalist approach right. so it says this therefore this will happen yeah, right um now the beast might not be a beast in the description but w- we associate sure. the beast with uh, certain northern empire or whatever okay or a, okay um and so this thousand years follows christ's second coming and during that time there will be, uh, uh, sorry, during the thousand years, Christians will be raptured to reign with Christ. Satan will return for a final onslaught before being overcome. And then comes the second coming of Christ and the final judgment. That That is a, a, a sweeping over right. generalization. That sounds that like position. our Left Behind series. Yeah. And what m- many Christians may think if they hadn't studied this because of the culture we're in and that we're, we're informed by our, our fathers and forefathers from, you know, those times that we've been taught that kind of. Exactly. Right. Okay. Yeah. Very predominant in America. Yes. And possibly Northern Ireland, less right. so now actually in okay. the rest of the UK. Interesting. Um, but, but historically yeah, in the last 20, 30, 50 years or so, um, very influenced from the States. Negatives. There's an overemphasis on dates, orders, events, uh, material rule of the saints. Mm. The positives with this view, it takes apocalyptic prophecies and revelation seriously as a book for our time. Um, mm. You can weigh I, up that. I, yes. I, I think it's interesting. It's always fun, isn't it, reading in that way. My critique of not just premillennialism, but futurism in revelation, it, if maybe this you can understand this, is that it's very malleable as the years go on, as the dates go on, as in the far future, nuclear weapons aren't the best weapon to use, then the, then the, the prophecy changes. Yes. And it can change and change. So, so you could always find something in the future that's the best match for a piece of apocalyptic 
language and you can say, well, that's not invented yet, or we haven't got a one world government yet, because that's what it's saying. But then is it saying that? So that that's what I find. It does take it seriously, but then does it? Yeah. Because it's, um, yeah. it's very malleable. It is malleable. And mm. so we have to be careful not to overemphasize. One of the, the, the better arguments I've heard for this is look at the way that many of the Old Testament prophecies were fulfilled accurately in Christ. Pierced for our transgressions, no bones were broken. His, and he, actually the evidence of fulfillment in the New Testament, in the Gospels of prophecy, is probably more yeah, less symbolic than we might mm. like to believe. So why would we apply apply a different principle sure. for some of the prophecies in Revelation yeah. to um, to our time? I would. Can I make an argument? Yeah, please do. I think that there are also prophecies in the Old Testament that come true that sound like creation being uncreated. So you've got like. Uh, um, heaven, you know, stars and the moon falling and things, and it's and it and that's Isaiah talking about Babylon coming in, in the name of the Lord, in a sense, you know, the Lord says, "I'm going to come." Well, Babylon comes and captures Israel. So you've got language that sounds a lot like Revelation, which actually isn't. Yeah, stars falling from the sky. Yeah. It's Babylon coming and doing something. Yeah. yeah. So that so for me, I think yeah, that's actually a really strong point for. Um, premillennialism and a futurist view is that, yeah, there are these very, um, I mean, sometimes it's so strange. It's almost like someone's gone back into the Old Testament and changed it, but we know that they haven't, how close those those prophecies are for Jesus, you yes. know, riding on a donkey and, yeah. and you know, the, the uh, sharing out the clothes that the soldiers did. And that's like uh, Psalm 23, isn't it? Yes. Um, yeah. But then the argument 22. is also 22, 22, 23, there's, there's a whole. <laughs> um, the argument of, yeah, that destruction and the, the kind of language you see in Revelation is it is fulfilled in everyday sort of war mm. in the Old Testament. So, mm. Mm. yeah. So really interesting, isn't it, to think about prophecy and how it's fulfilled and apocalyptic prophetic mm. literature. So the so we've looked at pre-millennialism. Let's move to post-millennialism. So Christ retu- returning after the thousand years right. and not before. So this is another um, view of, in, of Revelation in that particular chapter. Christ's return after a thousand years, but may not be exactly a thousand years. That, that period could be symbolic. That, that number right. could be symbolic. It yeah. shouldn't necessarily be equated as a, a fixed um, running clock. Why, why, can we, why can we say that? Or why do we think saying that that isn't necessarily a thousand years? I mean, I, mean, I think most, in fact, all would be open to this symbolism right. within that thousand years because yeah. the use of numbers throughout Revelation is highly symbolic, right. and no one would argue against that. Um, and some would say there's the you know there's time, time and half a time or whatever that yes. phrase is yeah. is should be taken as a certain portion of years. The only, and seven the only years thing and, I can think about a thousand years elsewhere in the Bible is John's. Saying in book, isn't it somewhere? A thousand years is one day, is and to, a day is like a thousand years yeah. to to, right. yeah, to God. So, so the only other reference we have that I can think of at the top of my head is saying that a thousand years isn't always quite as we count it. Exactly. And then we have this millennium, which is only mentioned in this chapter of Revelation. Yeah. Right. So when we come to hyperlinking the Bible, it's very difficult to do that here. It is very difficult okay. indeed. So that may be why we have these differing opinions very much so very much so and so one of the best ways of interpreting scripture is letting it interpret itself through other 
hyperlinks. Mm. And in this case, we can't really do that in the way we can in most of the other mm. portions of Revelation even. So the post-millennial view holds that. Towards the end of history, there'll be a greater experience of peace, gospel fruits, the advancement of the kingdom through social um, yeah, righteousness, justice, justice issues, um, and therefore Satan will be bound um, due to the larger number of Christians. So that's some of the, the wider understanding with the post-millennial view. The negatives could be it's overly optimistic about what can be achieved on earth before Christ's return. Mm. Um, the positives could be it encourages us in world evangelism and mission yeah. and seeing transformation within society mm. through um, believers in the church rising up to be who God has called us to be, to bring about the kingdom in the already. So what we're saying here, premillennialism, so Christ arrives before this millennium. This millennium is a time of peace and prosperity, lots of Christians and and good times, right? So premillennialism, he arrives before and institutes it. Is that right? No, so it's an age where there's uh, gospel and growth significant but in, in pre-millennialism he is there he's there so in pre-millennialism there is there is the um post the cross this age that we've we've gone through but then there's a second coming in pre okay. pre-millennialism yeah. um which may or may not involve a rapture depending on which part of pre-millennialism you take then then um the second coming with the church and there's this thousand year period before the final judgment, um, judgment. and in post-millennialism but that thousand but that thousand years is yeah. peace prosperity for post for, for, for pre yeah it's a raining oh, for pre it's a rain okay yeah i understand okay yeah but jesus is there for a thousand for yeah. a thousand years or or a symbolic thousand years exactly but yeah. post is this is a thousand years or symbolic thousand years of peace and prosperity yeah, and then Christ, then Christ will yeah. come in okay. the final judgment. Yeah, and then positively, it encourages that. So, a millennials. So, this is the last one. A meaning um, um, no thousand years, essentially. So, so yeah, you understand that? Does that make sense? Well, it's in the scripture. So, how can there be no thousand years? Christ returning without a millennium is the way that I remember okay. it. a millennials. So, it's not this thousand years. So. Differently, this is a higher symbolism emphasis uh, and understanding within the book. Uh, it takes in mind other scriptures, the importance of using wisdom to discern symbolism, uh, these type of um, prophetic writings. Understands a thousand years to symbolize the period between the ascension of Christ and Christ's return. Okay. So we are in the thousand right. year period. So there's some crossover there with post-millennialism. Yeah. yeah. Right. But the difference being that whilst we are called to world mission, whilst we're called to bringing um, transformation to society, there will be an increase of persecution. There will be a, a mm. downward spiral of the wickedness of humanity, right. wars and rumors of wars, um, famines, earthquakes, and the like. These are all signs that point us to the coming day of judgment and the urgency of evangelism mm. and mission. The negatives to this view could be not seriously explaining this portion of Revelation 20 and of um, a lack of urgency and, and um, by, by overly symbolizing things, we underplay the immediacy and urgency of the force of Revelation. In the sense of the day it was written? 
Yeah. Right. Because it's, yeah, you get to send this letter off to someone and it's just full of all this imagery and stuff that's not. And 2000 years later, it's still, we're still yeah. waiting yeah. rather than there's a, there's an urgency, there's a relevance, there's a, yeah. a coming judgment. There's a, yeah. um, the positives is a strong emphasis on Christ reigning now. Right. Spiritually and in the future. Fully. Do does post millennialism cross over there too? Yes. Right. So they all have lots of crossover. Um, I mean, all, all all start and end at the same point: Christ's ascension and a last judgment yeah. return. Yeah. The, the issue is what this thousand year period involves. Um, Christ's coming prior to that with his church before a final judgment, or Christ coming and the last judgment coinciding. Mm. So as you can see, hugely, yeah, complicated. Yes. Um, all of which has led to these views and offshoots of these views being taught to some degree in churches when they take on the book of Revelation right. or when they look at end times. But we're limited to these views because they fall under Orthodox Christianity. And, and so though it may be difficult a post-millennialist could fellowship with Precisely. a yes. pre-millennialist yeah. and they could disagree about revelation till the cows come home. But Jesus did ascend and he's either reigning or will reign and um, there will be a final judgment and there will be a new heavens and new earth that is restored. How it's restored, it might be the... the Precisely. And I think okay. if you look at the creeds, the confessions, mm -hmm. statements of faith, um, they all talk of uh, clearly Christ's ascension mm. and being on the throne, but then returning to finally judge mm. and raise um, believers to spend eternity with him. Um, some churches, particularly in the States, would would actually add to their um, statements of faith specific uh, positions on this, and that would be a requirement for membership. Right. That's less of a, a situation in the UK. You might get a certain teaching that you disagree with, mm. but you know you, you can be in the church. You yeah. Can be, you, okay. You can fellowship. You okay, can yeah. you can you can um, grow with others that hold mm. different views on this secondary matter. Mm. Um, and yeah, I think that's the priority to hold to the clear tenets of the evangelical of the faith, and evangelicals agree Jesus will return visibly and bodily. The dead will be raised and judged. Those whose names are in the Lamb's Book of Life will enter eternal glory with him. Those who will not will be condemned to eternal judgment and excluded mm. from that new creation. Satan will be judged, condemned, and death will be destroyed. And Jesus will triumph over his enemies. And at the last hand, the kingdom, hand his king, the kingdom over to his father with the result that all wickedness and evil will be eliminated and God will be all in all. Mm. Those big yeah. doctrines of the end times stand fast. Yeah. I think as someone who has started to explore this area and come up with some of my feelings on my own, I think my initial uh, movements into it were quite um, stressed or anxious driven. And I felt as if, uh, gosh, am I learning something here that's heretical? Is this really scripture or is it not? And I wonder whether you, we could comment on why that might be the case and why a lot of Christians feel as if mm. revelation is unaccessible or having an eschatology is not only is it not important, it's probably getting in the way of your Christianity. 
Um, what, what would be your answer to that? Yeah, and I think it's right to wrestle with these books. Like in in any area of our Christian life, we we, we struggle with some parts of Scripture and applying them into our faith. Mm. And I think you know we as teachers and leaders need to work harder at making these books accessible, mm. um, and 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 um, pointing to their pastoral and immediate mm. living application. So mm. you know, I, I once described revelation like this god wins satan loses but be on your guard mm. um and actually that that's true now we don't want to just stay at the kind of a grand surface level yeah, yeah, we yeah. need to deep dive mm. but how do we tackle these well maybe some interpretive reminders so visions are, are meant to remind christians of the certainty certainty of god's judgment the key is that there is a limited amount of time we don't know how long Mm. The church age of mission is clear. Christ has commissioned us. Mm. Don't spend too long over speculating. That's not going to be helpful. Yes, wrestle, but don't. If our energy is speculating, it's it's that's the wrong place for, Does that for the direction like of a, scripture. A trap that the premillennial might fall into more than the post of the army. I think it could well be. Yes, that we're looking at. Oh, this imagery. What's this helicopter? Yeah. Is it a? Is it Putin? Precisely. Is it? Yeah. yeah. And oh, we'll just wait for that rapture. I better be saved. Or what if I'm not? What if I'm left behind? Right. Hold on a minute. Are we? If, where yeah. are we going with that? How helpful is that to our um, assurance of salvation and yeah. our? Uh, call to share the gospel. I guess we could say some of these dangers aren't necessarily dangers in an you know the the, the belief of of a pre mill or a futurist. It, that, believing that isn't where the problems come. It's the danger of how your thinking might be thought. Of. Because if someone said to me, Jesus could come at any moment, and therefore we need to get as many. Because you know all this wars are going on, and Putin's invaded Ukraine, and all these things, uh, we need to get as many people onto the boat. There's a lot more emphasis there than on conversion rather than sanctification, discipleship. Yeah, and it's fear-driven and, evangelism, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Really, it's scaremongering. Yeah. Rather than lovingly, yes, there is there is a urgency that we often lose, I think, yes. and lose sight of. So mm. the the returning king, the judge, um, that, that's that's enough of a, a mm. kind of, wow, yeah, w there should be fear and wonder mm. in our evangelism. But yeah, not not using revelation uh, and this apocalyptic literature to kind of place it all on Putin or whoever it might mm. be, Hitler in the past. And there's, there's been plenty of, of others. Fear, isn't there? And saying, yeah. therefore, you should. Yeah. Okay, that's that's a bit dangerous, I think. Yeah. And I think the other, the, one of the things I found most helpful when I studied this, when I uh, Bible college, was the lecturer saying, "Revelation must be grasped by the imagination, not merely by the intellect." Right. That sounds a lot like the the typology, uh, the sort of the imagery thing. Yeah. So is that where you would land more? It is more revelation. Right? It is more because it's a vision. It's mm. pictorial. Yeah. How, how does John does he re, does he receive a written explanation of a doctrine? Does he receive uh, a thesis on the end times, mm. outlining the mm. processes and the? No, he sees, mm. he experiences. He's he's in, involved in a sensory um, moment, right? And is that for him? Yes. Is that for mm. others? 
at, at the time? Yeah, it made a difference to the believers under persecution. And is it for us? Yes, it has to be. But let's not lose by working out the details of a possible sign and a possible fulfillment through a bad world leader mm. with the the, the big Im, imagination, you know, getting getting of you know thunder, lightning. Um, why are these words used? Why did why did John have to experience that mm. kind of extreme language, extreme visions? Well, it was meant to impact his heart mm. um, and show him how big God was, how almighty, how other than. Mm. I was thinking of uh, Isaiah, the first few chapters, you know, and he's in the temple and God's there, and it's it's unbelievable how vivid and amazing it is isn't it yeah i wonder whether that's a similar yeah holy 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 you know i'm unworthy i'm unclean Mm. woe to me Mm. you know that's the kind of response um that it should lead us to worship Mm. fantastic so i don't know how we're getting on with time on this one i think we're getting a bit long here i feel like this might have hit a record so we should probably wrap things up 45 okay so what have we got in conclusion we're talking about eschatology today and we're talking about specifically we've been speaking about revelation although i know that's not the only place where there is eschatology in the bible could you remind us then of some of the other places because some of our listeners might want right. to check okay. them out so if you want to look at depending on your uh, view of the eschatology you might be looking at somewhere like matthew 24 25 that's called the olivet discourse um, which is basically when jesus is on the mount of olives and the disciples have asked him, what's going to happen to the temple? And Jesus goes on to explain that. Now, depending on your view of futurist or preterist, you might interpret that differently. And you can look up plenty of different views. I think a very famous preterist would be Tom Wright. Mm-hmm. And I think people who would be um, futurist would be maybe like John Piper. Or they might be wrong there. Or Yeah, he might be. I think um, he is. I'm not sure on his position on that. But it's definitely out there. So you can Google that. You can have a look at that. Um, Then we start getting into some of the Old Testament stuff. So you could look at Daniel 7, 8, and 9 and see how you feel about Jesus coming onto the throne and ascending. Is he ascending or is he descending? Good question there. Uh, Daniel 9, you could look at um, uh, Jesus making a new covenant with Israel. Yeah. Different views on that too. and then as someone who holds, I'm going to reveal it now, as someone who holds uh, a post-millennialist view, <laughs> fairly recently, I'll say in the last year or so, um, I did think pull up some verses that I thought could be interesting to look at. And I I don't think they are exclusively post-millennialists. Obviously, um, pre-millennialists and amillennialists would enjoy these verses and celebrate them because it is talking about that judgment or that end time of peace and prosperity. Now, the postmodernists would would say that a lot of these verses um, give us a timeline of how Jesus will return. So I thought there's Psalm 110, mm-hmm. which I'll paraphrase for time, for it. is essentially is the most quoted part of the Old Testament in the New Testament. And it, there's a, a very famous passage there. It says, my Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand and I will make your enemies a footstool for you. That's the paraphrase. And the postmaster will say, well, Jesus is reigning. My Lord said to my Lord, God said to Jesus, sit on my right hand, so reigning in, on the throne, and I will make all enemies a footstool unto you. And there's an interesting place where Paul then quotes that. 
in 1 Corinthians uh, 24 to 25. And he quotes that and says, The Lord said to my Lord, I will make all your enemies a footstool. And Paul says, Jesus will not return. And um, well, Jesus will return then to defeat the final enemy, which is death. So a postmodernist view would say, Ah, he's on in heaven, reigning with God. And God says he's going to make all enemies his footstool. And then Paul says, There's a final enemy, which is death. So that would be the postmodernist view of the millennium, where mostly all sin has gone, mostly all uh, pain and suffering has gone, and Jesus comes to defeat the last thing, which is death, which would be the resurrection and the final judgment. And then there are other passages um, of what it might look like and how that process happens. So postmodernist would go to Ezekiel 47, verses 1 to 6. And that's Ezekiel seeing an image. Again, we're talking imagey, images, and this image also appears in Revelation. This is an image of the temple. From the temple, there is water flowing, and it's ankle deep, and then it's knee deep, and then it's waist deep, and then you, you have to swim in it. You can't, you can't stand in it anymore, is what Ezekiel says. And the postmanist will say, well, that water flowing from the throne is what we see in Revelation. It's the spirit going into the world and... One of the arguments against postmodernism is like, where is this prosperity? Where is this peace? And we would say, well, it's ankle deep, it's knee deep, and then it's waist deep. So it's this idea that God's kingdom comes and it's progressive and it's slow. Growth of the church. And it's to be looked at over thousands mm. of years, mm. not just a few sudden years. Mm. So there are some some yeah, verses we could good. look at for postmodernism, which are outside of Revelation, which yeah. also hyperlink back in. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's places to go there if you wanted to. Yeah, no, enjoy, and I, yeah. we would encourage you to read those um, yeah. passages. And also 1 Thessalonians 4, 2 Thessalonians actually is mm. probably the other part of um, the New Testament that is particularly focused on this idea of a man of lawlessness and mm. antichrist. And we haven't talked much yeah. about that, which yes. is maybe for another session. Yes, maybe. <laughs> um, and uh, some of John's letters also mm. pick up on that theme. Um, but again, what we would encourage and what I would encourage certainly would be um, how does this impact my life for Christ now? Mm. Not just um, was it fulfilled back then and will it be in the future? But if scripture is relevant today and makes a difference and transforms mm. us, which we know to be the case, then what does this reveal about Jesus? How does this impact the way I live for him? Um, and the good news is that he is on the throne. He's ascended. And he will come and make all things right and new. Um, and that's our hope. So mm. the victory of Christ and his church over whatever enemies there are. Fantastic. Thank you, Oz. And uh, thank you guys for listening today. Um, it's been a pleasure. You've been listening to uh, Postcards from Antioch, a uh, teaching and training podcast from Barton Church. And we hope you tune in again and uh, have a great uh, rest of whatever you're doing. Goodbye. Thank you.